We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? It's a sweat box in here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can't deal with it. Summer's decided to actually show up. Or has it been summer in Canada for a while? Because it's not been summer by me. It's still spring. It's been summer in Toronto. Not Montreal, but Toronto. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so this week we uh, have, at the end of the show, uh, the DVD shelf is back. It's been a while, but it's back. This week we're talking NYPD Blue with Ellen Gray from the Philadelphia Daily News. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, otherwise, it's a, it's a relatively light week in TV. So we're going to keep it loose. Have a little more... Uh, conversation yay it's enthusiasm is hard to muster when it's like 27 degrees celsius in your room but yay that means that means nothing to me you're talking you're talking your hippie northern talk i think that's like 10,000 degrees fahrenheit i think that's how that works something like that <laughs> well we have been talking with you guys this week um first of all heard from mario who voted for burn notice in the make kate watch stuff poll which did in fact win um apparently he used to watch but uh he got away from it and he wants to know if he should jump back on the bandwagon for the last season so that'll be a little later in the show mario you can find out then also heard from shannon who who uh gave a stamp of approval for Mythbusters, but went for the original programming over reality because reality programming is the devil, apparently. Very entertaining to discuss that with you, Shannon. Heard a lot of stuff from Ken, um, who picked up on the Theon Torturer clues with Rob's chess board, as it were, last week. So that was, I'm sure you had fun with that this week on Game of Thrones, Ken. Um, uh, apparently Revolution did their own carry on my wayward son type thing for their finale. So that actually kind of makes me want to watch just the montage. So thank you for the heads up. And uh, he is, uh, he enjoyed our segment with Leanne Bonet star last week. So I'm glad you enjoyed that. And he's with you on the killing Simon. So uh, the, our listeners agree. The internet agrees with you and our listeners as well. I'm sure you're feeling validated. Yeah, I'm feeling somewhat validated. I'm still, as you'll hear when we get there, I'm still, I'm worried I'm going to regret it, but we'll see. Um, I, I, I assume most things end badly, so I guess I, I'm, I'm well prepared. Um, Steph said she's only sticking with Family Tree for the monkey, so that was entertaining because, of course, that's the one part of the show we're not big fans of. And Dan is currently catching up with Orphan Black. Um, speaking of Orphan Black, Tat Tatiana Mislani just won um, the Critics Circle Award and was just nominated for the Television Critics o Award for lead performance in a drama, I believe. So the things are turning up uh, Millhouse for, for her somewhat to this extent. I mean, I don't think that will affect her Emmy chances, but hey, the more love for Tatiana Maslany, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I think we can credit it all specifically to this podcast. I'm pretty I, sure. I don't think yeah. there's any disputing that really in any corner of the internet. 
Yeah, that seems about right. Um, so obviously it's still June, so we still have pilot month going on at Sound on Sight. I mean, I, I can't even really list them all off. There's a ridiculous number of different pilots. What else uh, this week at Sound on Sight, sir? Well, we were both on uh, for a change of the Game of Thrones podcast with the uh, lovely and talented Miss Kate Renabom. Uh, sorry, Mrs. Kate Renabom. And uh, it was long, and I still have to mix it, so it should be up sometime uh, tonight. Tonight being Tuesday night. Uh, might be a little bit later than that. Uh, basically, I've got a lot of work to do on that, so it'll be done when it's done, <laughs> all right? Get off my back. <laughs> but that was a lot of fun. Uh, of course, also talking with Ricky D about uh, the finale, but also all of season three. So you can check that out. It's on that site, or it should be in the feed by the time. Because you have to edit that uh, or, or put that together. I have to put this together, so we'll see who wins <laughs> that, that race. But let's get to our week in TV, and we're going to kick things off with the comedies. <laughs> I'm yeah. terribly sorry. Not mean do that. Uh, old habits. Wow. Your diction's really come a long way since I last saw you. Good, Venture Stein. Yes, Army Teach Venture Stein. Make more good diction. Yeah, syntax, not so much. Army also teach Venture Stein salute. Teach make bed. Teach kill. It sounds like the Army had a real positive influence on your life. Why don't we just take you back? Oh! Venture Stein, never go back! Army make Vegerstein come here. Infiltrate revolution peoples. Orders make self terminate or discover. Silverstein obey. That when Vegerstein see him. He older, but Vegerstein still recognize is Jorge, little shoeboy from Father Teach films. He not know Vegerstein, of course, but after he stopped scream. We make good talk. Jorge opened Venturestein eyes to exploitation of proletariat, change Venturestein whole outlook. That when Venturestein decide quit army, go to jungle. This week for our week in comedy, we had Inside Amy Schumer, Meth Lab, we had Venture Brothers, Venture Libre, Veep First Response, and Family Tree Country Life. I also watched, um, I got caught up with Save Me, so I'll just a few thoughts on, on that to, to kick it off. I actually, because I, I liked the pilot for this more than anybody else, apparently. And uh, I got caught up, there's only one more episode that's going to air this week, but I've actually really, I've enjoyed this this season. It's not you know, the funniest thing ever, but I've enjoyed the time I've spent with it. And I always am interested to see different depictions of faith that uh, treat it with a non overly mocking tone all the time. It's, you know, if you're going to make uh, entertaining, you know, jokes and, and comedy based on religion, that's great. I, and I look forward to laughing at that, but for the most part, network television just is afraid of discussing religion and Christianity in specifics, but really any religion in a meaningful way. So, I, you know, I, I've enjoyed that element to the show besides the fact just that I like the cast and, and, and Heche is really good as the lead. So uh, I've enjoyed my time with it and I hope anybody else has watched it <laughs> as well. I kind of doubt that, but um, I, I, I imagine there's nothing I could say that would make you want to watch Save Me. I, I don't think you need to, but just just on the list, like, what would it take for you to actually be interested in watching the last episode of a certainly canceled series? You could pay me, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> that would help. That I'm probably biased because of my current situation. But, uh, yeah, you could pay me. 
<laughs> well, I, I think I'd be into it then. Certainly not going to not going to do that. What stood out this week uh, for your comedy viewing? Well, uh, just to clarify, I actually skipped Family Tree this week because I after last week I wasn't feeling inspired. Maybe I'll get back to it next week if you tell me this week it was great. I guess we'll get there. Um, I absolutely once again dug the hell out of Venture Brothers, although. It probably helps if you've seen the whole run of the show, which I, I felt even more this week than last week, because the entire episode calls back to a season two episode that I didn't think they were ever going to return to the Venturestein character. And uh, if, if you like this episode, Kate, you should watch Viva Los Muertos uh, from that <laughs> season. I think it might actually be, if not my favorite episode of the whole series, it's certainly up there. It has this incredible parody of, um, of Scooby-Doo that just has to be seen to be believed. But uh, this was a, a really great uh, callback to that. And also, I, I, in theory, what they're doing with Dean, where he's becoming this sort of sullen teenager because he actually gets to grow up for once and uh, sort of just hang, hanging out on his own, I think could have been really annoying. But I actually thought it was a really interesting counterpoint to the antics of the rest of the episode. And I like what they're doing with I, I, the fact that we're actually getting real character development with them this season is interesting and different. Yeah, I really like the... Um you know, going through a goth phase sort of storyline that they're doing, just seeing him walking around with the the hair thing on while he's dying his roots or whatever, I thought was a lot of fun. And yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying Venture Brothers. And I mean, obviously I haven't seen most of the series, so whatever the references in this were to previous seasons, I wasn't catching that. But it was just really funny without that. So yes, was the backwoods joke very on the nose. Yeah, certainly. But I was still laughing throughout this episode. And I thought just the creativity of these, the various creatures was just incredibly entertaining. When yeah. the crab scurries away at the end or functions as a rocket ship. I, I was going to bring that up. Like, even if you haven't seen previous episodes, you still got a crab rocket ship and a, uh, and a mutant gorilla army yeah. and Jillian Jacobs in a very random appearance. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah. Which, again, people who are popular now showing up on Venture Brothers still weirds me out a little bit, but whatever. Um, and it's really Gillian like, Jacobs, by the way. Is it Gillian? Ah, Gillian. Whatever. I don't watch. I don't watch Community. I don't have to get their names right. <laughs> anyway, take that, people. Anyway, and I don't care that Harmon's back. Do you hear? I don't care. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, Inside Amy Schumer, once again, total crapshoot this week. Total, total crapshoot, and that seems to be what it's settling into. Pretty much the same segments as before were great, and then in the middle, there's a totally crappy sketch that they did for no apparent reason involving a meth lab. Yeah, I really didn't care about Skeeter, but I did like the rest of the episode, so I thought I, that for me makes it more of a a miss, a, a hit than a miss. Um, also, before I forget, I did actually very much enjoy Family Tree this this week. I think it was definitely one of their their best episodes. So, well, it's only episode like three or four, but it's, it was the strongest outing so far, and the one that seemed to make the best use of the various elements. So uh, that tells me that uh, Christopher Guest is getting a better sense of his of his cast and and how to use them. But back to Inside Amy Schumer, I mean, Slap Chef, Sleep Gym, and Sever Spine were hilarious. Those were all great, yes. And Wonderful. I like, I did like the way that the, uh, this is the, I felt like this was the first week where she had a scripted sketch that really built over the course of an episode mm -hmm. and sort of added layers in, in an almost Tim and eric -y fashion, but not quite that absurd. Uh, and I also, and I, I really, really liked her interview with the, uh, with the ballerina. Mm -hmm. And it made me feel sad for ballerinas everywhere, frankly. Oh, my God. She's never eaten a full donut as an adult. 
that just that oh. makes me sad i mean obviously it doesn't make her sad so that's all that should matter but um you know i've different you, priorities it, and i agree with amy i think she'd be a very fun drunk <laughs> if she ever was willing to consume the calories Yes. yes. Um, I, you know, I've loved the very, like the choices of what she's done. I was less interested in the, the man who apparently had a ridiculously large penis, but I, I've really enjoyed who she's chosen to interview these different elements of, uh, of modern femininity or different, uh, sides to what is considered particularly feminine in our culture. And so I don't know who she's going to have on next, but I, I'm really digging that. And I hope that that is, you know, if there's any single thing from this season or this show that feels different than other shows and that I hope continues because it's, this has been picked up for a second season. It's that, those interview segments and the, the variety that she's brought to that. Yeah. I, I could watch a whole series of her doing interviews like that and, or, or just a show that's in more of a documentary format. Cause I think she actually really shines. Definitely. In that environment. Any other thoughts on the comedies this week, or shall we move to the winner of the week? Uh, winner, it's a toss-up between Venture Brothers and Veep for me. I haven't mentioned Veep yet, but I, I thought it was uh, it was one of the most contained episodes so far. You know, it all takes place in a single location, and it was more manic than usual. I especially like what we got with Anna Chlumsky and just her total loss of any sort of composure was just fantastic to watch. And just, it was one of the most cutting episodes, one of the hardest to watch, and just the most horribly awkward but i it didn't go too far which it for me is a very precarious line something like for instance uh, adventures of todd margaret uh, i think took it too far this i think gets right to the appropriate line and then stops where it should so i, th I thought it was one of their better episodes this season yeah it's great to see uh to see alice and janney show up in this role i was i was so happy when she was on my screen i think her her voice her comedic voice fits very well with what they're doing on veep right now and uh having not only have bringing her on as a journalist but bringing her on with late series uh cj craig hair i thought was awesome and um yeah oh she can come back Every time. I would be happy, very happy to have her in the, the rotating wheel of guests. I guess for me, I would give it to Venture Brothers this week because I am really digging what they're, what they're doing right now. I'm really enjoying that. But I, did, I thought it was a more solid week for comedies. Definitely. Next, we'll uh, talk a little reality. People smile until I'm the lucky one. And we've just begun. Think I'm gonna have a son He will be like she me Free as a dove Conceived in love The sun is gonna shine above Even though we ain't got money I'm so in love with you, honey Everything will bring a chain of That was the Swan Brothers singing Danny's song this week on The Voice. And uh, to kick off our weekend reality, I'll start with The Voice, which was uh, underwhelming, to say the very least. I really don't understand these performances. Almost everybody was out of tune. I'm very tired of this. Oh, my God, Danielle's so good. She's not. She's not 
amazing. She's very talented, but she sings every single song horribly flat. And so when she's singing this week, I felt like she was stabbing my ears with her voice. And then I go online to read recaps and everybody can is just talking about her flawless technical performance and maybe she needs to connect more emotionally with her songs and that's her only weakness. No, she can't sing in tune is her main weakness. The fact that she's they're choosing songs for her that are outside of her emotional range because she's 16 is less of an issue for me because she will grow into that and they can just choose better songs for her. But nobody seems to be telling her that she's not singing in tune. And after three weeks of that, I'm sorry, it matters. Um, sorry, I got a little angry there for a moment. <laughs> Sasha sang well, but she did, um, she did, I will always love you. And she did it a little different than Whitney Houston, which I appreciated, but you're not going to do that song better than Whitney Houston if you sing it in a similar style. So don't sing it or do it in a completely different style. And then she did Bad Girls by Donna Summer, and it's the same thing. Yes, her version is very good, but it's not different enough from Donna Summer's for me to want to really listen to it again. I'll listen to the original, which is fabulous. Um, and, and then it's not better than she's not out Donna summering Donna summer. So I, I really didn't understand the song choices for Sasha this week. Michelle Shamuel, her song choices were better. Um, she didn't get so soft. I couldn't understand her this week, which was a nice change. And I thought the song choices for her were very good. And same thing for the Swan brothers. There was excellent song choices for them. So, um, while I don't think they're anywhere near as, as talented or have as much potential to grow as, as, um, some of the other singers on there. They they are perhaps the most reliable week in and week out. So they have a very small range, but when they stay within that, they, they really deliver. So that, I think, I mean, I have no idea who's going to get sent home this week, besides the fact that Danielle seems safe and so does Michelle Shemuel. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see who's left next week. I, I, I just, I'm emotionally kind of checked out of the voice at this point because there's absolutely no sense of these people growing artistically in any way and that there's no, there's no sense of a desire to improve artistically because the the coaches aren't giving any sort of critical feedback at all and so why should i care if the if the singers don't seem to care about getting better and the coaches don't seem to care about their singers getting better why should i care and why should i be watching when i can just watch the or the original music videos for these songs that are better so, anyways, that's where I'm at with the voice this week. We'll see. We'll see if I'm uh, less, uh, le- if I'm more enamored of it next week, or um, if it, this maybe this was just an off week. Um, but we also had. Uh, be- well, I wanted to end with the Tonys, uh, the bits of it that I saw because it was awesome. But uh, let's end with "So You Think You Can Dance," so we can both discuss it. So the Tonys, I saw just a few of the different numbers, and I wanted to specifically mention that amazing opening number. If you have not seen the opening number that NPH did for the Tonys this year, just do yourself a favor: spend five to ten minutes and go onto YouTube and watch it because it is awesome. <laughs> it was amazing, and uh, there was just there's a particular um, Les Mis and Tom Hooper gag in there that. Uh, just makes the whole thing worthwhile as far as I'm concerned. There were a couple other really fun bits that NPH did, including um, a song with with Megan Hilty and Andrew Reynolds and I want to say Laura Bonatti, who had 
two different shows canceled this year all about Broadway performers ha- going to do TV and then having their shows uh, immediately canceled that was which was cute so you know I, I thought it was a very entertaining uh, broadcast and I always enjoy the Tonys so and hey, PH hey, you can host the Tonys every year as far as I'm concerned Chelsea doesn't get to complain Smash got one more season than it deserved that's true but she's still I mean Come on, look look at what that show gave her to do, and look what it did to her character. You know, while it while it was on, I think there's plenty. For, I mean, and obviously we all know her now, and we didn't know her before, but still, I look forward to what she does next, and hopefully, you know, she's way It'll more talented better. than Smash. Certainly, certainly. Let's yes. talk about So You Think You Can Dance, though. Um, this is the final audition round. Uh, who were the people who stood out to you? Uh, well, I'm never going to remember names because there was about 50 of them, but uh, I have to say the uh, the trapeze artist uh, was quite memorable, and um, oh, God, there were just too many. I, I I really I is the first is that the first time they brought Wayne Brady on? The first time I've seen him on anyway. Yeah, he was really good. I noticed. Oh, the, I hated I, him. Well, I didn't hate him, but I thought he was terrible. Really interesting. Yeah, I, he didn't have anything to add. Really, it just seemed like he was there at the end to try to say something funny and just go, yep, what they said. I didn't contribute a lot, but I guess I, I, I think he fits the vibe just fine. I mean, I, I, didn't, okay. I, I didn't find they, they had that much of substance to contribute generally, except wow, really, a whole yeah. lot uh, <laughs> during these auditions because they mostly just showed the good people. Uh, but I, I also noticed, um, I, I forget her real name, but Cece in mm-hmm. the preview. So that yeah. was kind of fun. I was, I, I doesn't surprise me that if she has that kind of background, so... Very cool. Um, I, I gotta say though, they the so you think you can dance people. I was not happy with them this week, the producers, because we got a montage of terrible people, and that's the first time that has happened really this season. And in order to get to that level of the audition, they have to go through two separate rounds of whittling down. So that means two levels of producers said yes person who's nowhere near qualified to be on this show and that we are just going to make fun of please you deserve to go to the next round of our audition and so you think you can dance for the most part has not done that really ever that's not what they do so i was very disappointed with them that they felt the need to pad with that i thought the most questionable aspect of the episode was again i forget the dancer's name but there was one who who made a point of you know i want to make you know uh, ball like a uh, formal dancing be be manly and masculine and mm-hmm. want to show that off and this the the way they were discussing it was a little bit off to me okay it's like i want to prove that you know i could be a dancer and kick your ass it's like uh like is that what being masculine is is that what that means uh all right if you say so well and there were some people who looked like they were really good who we didn't see so i i just didn't understand i Yes, I was more troubled by these auditions than I have been by the the ones leading up to it. However, that being said, I did think that uh, the nerd, that's my nerd, was adorable. And that was such a cute routine and such a... It, it felt like he was really telling a story. And that's something that often people don't really do in their auditions. So I thought that was really fun. Yeah, he was pretty adorable. Although, can I just... Can we put the kibosh on this whole hashtagging thing right now? Because I hate... <laughs> I hate it that anytime anything even vaguely entertaining happened, a hashtag went on the screen saying, oh, did you notice when that thing happened? And could you please tweet about it? Also, please tweet about it. Uh, Very specifically. This is how we would like you to tweet about it. Uh, I hate, yes, because we're going to tell you how to make things viral. I 
hate stuff like that. It it just drives me up the wall and makes me not want to watch things. Oh. <laughs> anyway. The, anyways, um, I, I do think you know it'll be interesting going to Vegas week. Apparently, they take two hundred people to Vegas, which gets whittled down to a top twenty somehow. Uh, so I don't. That seems excessive to me, but okay. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, considering how fun. many people they've introduced us to. That mm-hmm. seems a little a little excessive, but I I will say that the, the preview for that looks hilariously over the top. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 see we'll see what ha- what comes next. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm certainly looking forward to it. So, um, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that this was a a fluke. Showing people, you know, m- making fun of contestants seems to have been a fluke this week. So we'll see what happens next week. But now let's take a break and come back and talk about the dramas. Two of these are media messages. Can you tell me what he sent you? I didn't open them. Why? I didn't want to. Because he was a married man? I didn't know that at the time. But you didn't think to ask? He didn't think to tell me. I know nothing that will help you with your inquiry. And I have a lot of work to do. When did you first meet Sergeant Olson? That's what really bothers you, isn't it? The one-night stand. Man fucks woman. Subject man, verb fucks, object woman. That's okay. Woman fucks man. Woman, subject, man, object. That's not so comfortable for you, is it? This week for the dramas, we had... Uh, well, first I finished the rest of series one of The Fall, and then Mad Men, Favors, and Hannibal Roti. Uh, is that right? Roti? Roti? R- roti yeah, roti is fine. Rotisserie. <laughs> Rolled up thing. Rotisserie. Yes. Okay. Um, so there also, of course, we had the Game of Thrones series, season finale, Misa, which we talked about on the San Jose Game of Thrones podcast, which you can, of course, find already in your feed at this point, but also at soundonsite.org. But first, I'll, I'll talk about the fall briefly. I, I said last week that I was not particularly impressed with this I, did, I thought it was solid but not you know there was nothing that really grabbed me but I was going to watch the rest of the season and I did all four more episodes of it one of the beautiful things about British series very short uh, episode counts per season by episode I'm going to say three it, it went from a oh I'll finish watching this you know good cast interesting setting to I must watch the rest of this season <laughs> and that's down to the the strengths of the the writing but also the performances it's basically what everybody else has been saying yes Gillian Anderson is that good and that interesting in this role I love the gender politics I love the um depiction I guess of the, of the 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 killer that we're getting um I think there's a lot of really interesting things happening in this series and I look forward to uh when you've had a chance to catch up with the fall uh, which was not going to happen this week so that we can we can talk about it a little bit because I don't want to spoil you so it's definitely Good. worth checking out the pilot is not the strongest episode um it's not weak it's just it doesn't feel like it sets itself apart in in the pilot in the way that the later episodes really do. And because someone tweeted me this earlier this week, you can find the f- entire first season of uh, The Fall on Netflix, and it has been renewed for a second season. So, you know, if you're wondering where to find this, the answer is Netflix, if you're in the United States. 
All right. And Archie Punjabi's in there, too. Yes. Hello. Yeah, she's not in the first episode, but she shows up later. And I do like this notion of perhaps, and we could talk about this more, perhaps this is just... Uh, this is just Kalinda moonlighting. Uh, that's a fun mm-hmm. sort of alt narrative, but uh, we'll talk about that uh, once you have a chance to, to catch up with it. Let's talk about Mad Men and uh, Favors is the episode. We're getting towards the end of the season here, and um, I guess what people seem most excited about with this episode is the hint of maybe some information we get about Bob Benson, but what was the standout for you? I don't think it's maybe. I think we get some fairly clear indications about Bob Benson. What he sees in Pete, I have no idea. Unless it's part of some greater ploy, or he's a spy, or a ghost, or any of the other theories that people have thrown around. Um, oh, no, wait. Sorry. Megan's a ghost. Bob Benson's <laughs> a spook. I got it now. Anyway, uh, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Uh, mostly, I just felt really, 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 really badly for Sally. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, sorry. I felt bad for Sally. I didn't feel badly. I felt bad very well, actually. Um the uh, and I thought everything with her was really well executed and just how I loved every scene with her with her friend. I forget her name right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it just she was just such a perfect little bitch. <laughs> uh, and just the, the, every bit of acting and writing was just so great for that. character. Like you, it, she's the sort of friend that you have when you're young, but you don't really think about how they're behaving because you just like that you have a friend. Mm-hmm. And if you really start scrutinizing them, you realize that you have nothing in common. <laughs> um, I don't know if you had any friends like that. I know I did. Anyway. My friends um, are awesome. Just... I didn't hang out with stupid people. I did for like three months in sixth grade. And then I went, what am I doing? And I went back to yeah, hanging well, out with my awesome friends. This is, this is, she's in her three month period. <laughs> uh, S- Sally's a smart kid. She'll figure it out. But uh, just everything with, especially the way Don handled the situation was just so horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, so hard to watch. And just, yeah, it's it's becoming clearer and clearer that there is just, if they manage to redeem Don in any, in any significant way, that'll be quite a feat. Yeah, I think um, I was actually very disappointed with how that, that went. It makes sense. It's true to character. You know, I can't really fault the episode, but I wanted this to be about something other than him trying to get back into Sylvia's pants. And I, I felt like the rest of the episode was setting that up as this being something he could connect to, that he does actually like that he has a, a friend. He's somebody who he feels like as a friend in Arnold. And that, you know, with his own history of, of you know, trying to get out of, of Korea, right? Um, yes. That, you know, with, with his own experience, you know, with, you know, having to end up running for the rest of his life, that he would very strongly connect with, the plight of this kid. Um, and so when it's implied that so much of this has been just about Sylvia, I was, I was disappointed. That was, that seemed less interesting to me. Was that just me? No, I think that's fair. I mean, we, I think we're, we're always looking for ways to, if not root for Don, at least to have him develop something other than just being horrible. Give him layers. And, <laughs> yeah. Some layers. And I, I, I do think he, he, you know, he does have layers and I think in his own, incredibly inadequate way at the end of the episode he's trying to patch things up as best he can Mm -hmm. but really he's mostly just trying to cover his ass in the most lame way possible and even sally clearly knows that and it's just a very painful thing and it's it's the first time that the infidelities really has become clear to the kids Mm -hmm. i mean sally obviously knows that things not all was well in denmark with uh, with her you know, biological parents, but this is something entirely different. So I, I am kind of curious to see if they decide that, that 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 has lasting repercussions for you know for Don and Megan, or is that just is it just going to be a layer of 
sadness and woe that Sally just carries around for the rest of the season and never talks about, which actually seems more likely. Yeah, very, very likely. As soon as she went in and got the keys, it was just, a, oh, God, this is this is going to happen. After that phone call with Sylvia and Don, this is what is going to happen. So there's just like a creeping dread and I mean, like, like a, a there was an inevitability to it that was just made it hard to watch which i'm sure is what they were going for so it was very well executed this was also a tough episode for you as a uh, as a peggy and stan shipper because they got so close oh no they didn't and i i, I enjoy <laughs> that that I, I loved that whole conversation um that that he's, he's like no no you won't and she's like wait why do you have your sexy voice on <laughs> it's like no i don't <laughs> well he's like you know i'll uh, something blah blah work 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 thing and he's like oh there's somebody there i love that they've established that the two of them like that he that stan has a sexy voice and that peggy knows and that stan knows that peggy knows and it's like an yeah. in, joke, in joke with the two of them i think that's awesome yeah, they're like college roommates who have the sock on the door. Like they've got a whole, they've got a whole <laughs> understanding. Uh, and I, I, I actually really liked everything Peggy got to do this week. I liked her scenes with Ted and and Pete. I thought they were an interesting mm-hmm. trio together. And I, I still like Ted. Like as a, even as a person, I think that he's an interesting counterpoint to Don on some level. I don't, I don't think he's anywhere near Don's level of of, of scumitude. Always... And you're rolling your eyes at me, but I, I like whenever they let. They give Peggy and and Pete scenes together wherein Pete is a human being and not just a terribleness in a bag, <laughs> in a flesh suit. Uh, so so seeing the two of them have an honest moment I thought was really great and uh, reminds, you know, viewers that he's not always the worst, just mostly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's, all, yeah, that's even true of Don. I mean... Don's Don's has his moments of being an all right person sometimes. When this I, I, season? Yeah, it's it's. I feel like it's he he was he was pretty good with with Bobby Junior at camp. Maybe <laughs> that's about it. But yeah. I mean, Pete Pete doesn't have doesn't have a great track record either. Let's remember. So uh, yeah, but I, I I still think in in amongst this company, Ted looks pretty good. Now, was I the only one thinking of uh, uh, of Mrs. Florick and uh, her storyline when we had the? No, you were reveal. not the only one thinking about that. I well, the non-reveal, really. Yes. Um, but uh, yes, I I absolutely made that connection. Uh, yeah. It was a weird bit of wires crossing. Uh, but I I don't know. In general, like lately with Mad Men, like I, I'm I'm entertained while I'm watching it. There's always great dialogue and stuff to look at, and fabulous costumes, music, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's lately it's not a whole lot more than diverting most yeah. of the time, which is disappointing. It's it doesn't feel as like lumbering and sometimes difficult to watch as I think it was in parts of season one and if I'm recalling correctly, season four. But it's it's not at its best lately. Yeah, and. Good, not great is, you know, that's that's damning with faint praise. Um, it still is a very, it's an excellent show, but I, I'm not emotionally invested in half the characters. And so when we do, we, yeah, when we have very little Joan, when we have, you know, some really good Peggy stuff, but, you know, and I love that she has a cat now, by the way. That was an awesome little beat that made sense for her. Yes. Um, you know, when, when these characters that I actually do care about have scenes like Sally this week, I'm more invested when most of the men have scenes. I'm less invested. 
So, so it goes. Uh, I, I, I also want to add, we can start giving Cutler some point of view scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I want to see what he's up to on it, like throughout his day. I, I very much enjoyed the role reversal this week where with Chowgaga and uh, and Cutler. We we're, were basically sw- switched from last week where Cutler was like, it's all about them and us. And Chowgaga was, you know, hey, guys, it's a, it's a team. It's our juice. And this week it's the other way around. <laughs> Right, I did. I did. I did enjoy their juice dilemma. <laughs> I, I, in in general, I've enjoyed the fact that so many of their biggest dilemmas this season are around incredibly mundane products. Yes, that's clearly by design, and I, yeah, props to to Matt Weiner on that. Definitely. Shall we move on to Hannibal? Sure. Isn't Eddie Izzard great? You know, I I have mixed feelings on this. I do think Eddie Izzard's great, uh, but I think that he's been saddled with one of the least interesting characters we've gotten season sorry uh i wasn't that keen on the, the whole the whole notion of that he'd been prodded and prodded into not knowing his true identity was i don't know i didn't i never really bought into it as an interesting hook for a story i don't really think they it, it didn't feel as uh i guess palpable and interesting as a lot of the for instance anything that's going on with with hugh dancy uh so if this you know we i guess this is the end of his character so uh, that's fine. I mean, I, I like I like Eddie Izzard. He's great. He can pop up wherever he likes, and clearly he's needed over on, on Orphan Black. But um, yeah, I wasn't sad to see him go. I, I was one. I was very pleased to see him come back this week. We didn't praise him the last time he was on, and we should have because yeah. Um, and I, I very much have enjoyed the parallel. Like I bought into, I guess, the parallel of Will's experience and and that character's experience. I don't. The name escapes me at the moment. Um, and also just the fact that Will was interested in in the parallel, or he was being put in a position where he didn't know, you know, exactly what was going on, especially because he keeps losing time. You know, I think there's a there. You know, because of that, I really did um, invest further into it. Um, I, I, the big thing for me with this episode and with this season, it has been that I love the way that this whole season and pretty much everything we're seeing with Will all goes back to the pilot and Will's justifiable killing of Garrett Jacob Hobbs, that killing that guy, even though he was right to do so by any standard like in any other cop show you would you would uh or, or procedural of any sort it would be it was a clean kill it was a clean shoot man you, you had mm. to do it and they would go yeah it was hard though and maybe and maybe immediately one forget episode, about it <laughs> maybe one episode of paperwork or ptsd and then move on and then move on yeah and on this show it's just so completely screwed him up that he's you know, obviously the encephalitis helps with that yes. and have Han- Han- having Hannibal Lecter as your shrink helps with that. But, uh, you know, having the, you know, the this whole struggle come from and this eventual, you know, sort of loss of time, loss of sense of self, all of that come from this one so justifiable homicide. You know, this is what makes the show so great, aside from the fact that it's executed very well and it looks gorgeous. And this is what makes this show such an important counterpart to the crap like the following that is out there, like the criminal minds that are out there. People should be watching this show, and I can't wait to see season two. And can I brag a little bit here? 
Yes, sure. Because I've seen the last two episodes and they're awesome. Oh, I hate you. Screeners, uh, thank you, NBC. Yes, thank you, NBC, for getting my co-host Screener so she can gloat. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how... Oh, she's still dancing a little. Um, the I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this plays out. And you're absolutely right. The Fuller said repeatedly that showing the repercussions of violence is one of the most important things that he does on the show. And I was skeptical about him handling... I mean, obviously, stuff like Pushing Daisies had a darker edge, but nothing like this. Even Dead Like Me, nothing like this, despite mm-hmm. the subject matter. And I wasn't sure if how good a mix he'd be with something so grim. And I think he's handled it really elegantly. I think after this, frankly, whatever happens with Hannibal, it's pretty clear the guy can do pretty much anything. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And yeah, I was just, I was similarly doubtful where when the show was. That's why I was not interested in the pilot and was not looking forward to watching it in the fall or when it was announced. That is, because though his other material all had elements of darkness to it, especially in its humor, I wasn't. You know, I didn't know what to expect from a show about Hannibal Lecter. You know, because I'm not familiar with the source material, so I didn't. About Will Graham didn't mean anything to me. So about Hannibal Lecter, and it's just been. You know, I think they've just hit the ball out of the park. I'm so glad. That we're gonna get another uh, another season of of this, regardless. Even if I hadn't seen the last two episodes and seen what comes, you know, the the really interesting stuff that we have coming next, that we'll get to talk about next week and the week after, um, having this sort of a discussion of violence and its cost on television is really worthwhile. And also, I just need to mention there were bits of this episode that I just couldn't watch. I was going like I was covering my eye, covering specific. Specific, I'm sorry, but surgery stuff, man, I can't deal with. That's like one of my things. That's, ugh. Uh, yeah. See, creepy yeah. stalker chick with, you know, who thinks she's dead under the bed are my thing, apparently. I was Yeah, I was totally surgery. cool with that. Although when her skin came off, that was the thing. That's something about the Georgia last thing that we that we failed to pick up on or failed to mention last week. Uh, her character name was Georgia Mad- Madchen. Mm-hmm. And Madchen is, the, uh, is a German word for woman. Uh, woman lass nice Uh, you see what they did there i do it's very nice uh we have to mention one more thing at least in this episode i've heard the expression columbia necktie and (laughs) i've heard you know like with people with their throat cut that's a columbia necktie i didn't understand the full because of course they never really show you a Colombian necktie until this week on Hannibal. And then I was like, oh, that's why they call it that. That uh, name yeah. makes sense. And that's creepy. Were you like me? Did you have to take a second to process? Like when you first get the yeah. image, it took me a second to figure out what exactly I was looking at. Until it moved. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and God. then Eddie Izzard rearranged it a little bit. Just, yeah, just in this. Oh, oh my God. Uh, all that's left, man, the only thing that's left that I've heard about but never seen depicted, and they've basically done it, but not quite, blood eagling. Okay. And it's going to happen. <laughs> do you know what that is? No, do I want to? You'll find out at some point at over some the course point. of the series, I guarantee you. <laughs> it's a Viking thing. It's a Viking thing. Okay, well, I'll I'll be off to, to Google as soon as we finish recording here. Uh, any final but not thoughts? a Google image search. No, <laughs> Don't do certainly that. not. No, I will be blocking images from that search. <laughs> any other thoughts about this episode or um, any hopes for the last couple episodes? Uh, only that it keeps being good uh, and 
we'll see how I feel about where it ends and my general iffiness about prequeldom. I've heard something about David Bowie being in the next season, and I really hope that's true. Nice. That's going to bring back awesome Firewalk with me memories. Exactly. They need to have on David Bowie and David Lynch. Yes. Oh, man. Lynch would be so good on Lynch this. Lynch would be so good on this. <laughs> well, before we uh, ramble forever, perhaps we oh, should. Oh, actually. Oh, oh. I have two. I have two more shows to talk about. What? 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 Uh, two things that I watched and you didn't. Uh, so I watched The Killing still. I'm still, <laughs> still doing that. Uh, not regretting it yet. I may regret it later, but I'm not regretting it yet. Uh, it was a very, another very slow burning episode. No sexual violence this time. Uh, thankfully there was some snuff film content very tastefully off to the side mostly, which was fine. I was okay with that. Uh, and actually in retrospect, I'm not so bothered by the, by the appearance of sexual violence only because if you're gonna do a season that's mostly set in this setting and dealing with underage prostitution. I mean, it's not entirely out of the realm of the ordinary that something like that would occur. And we haven't exactly seen how it plays out yet over the course of the season. So I'm not mm -hmm. You're I, withholding I'm, judgment. I, I'm withholding judgment for now. And I do think that it could have been more luridly depicted for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, it's still really, really digging the hell out of Joel Kinnaman. He, he really gets you through the, uh, the grimmer bits of the episode, and I love when uh, one of the street kids describes him as an Eminem wannabe with a uh, with a pervert stash. I think <laughs> it was, which was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, still enjoying it. The cast is still amazing, and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, hoping it doesn't happen. Uh, the other thing I watched and you didn't was the pilot for Graceland. Oh my god, I watched a pilot that you didn't watch. This never. What? This may be. This may actually be the first time in Televerse history. Yeah. Think certainly. back, but I think it may be a first time. And you were right. Not to do it. <laughs> it wasn't. It, it, it wasn't horrible by any means, but it really. I every year it feels like USA tries to broaden their brand a little bit. They did it with political animals. We saw how that worked out to varying degrees. Uh, this was a little bit more back in their wheelhouse with some darker elements thrown in as well, but it really feels like they're trying to do uh, Burn Notice 2.0 since I'm assuming that has to end at some point. Um, and uh, it's I like the cast, but none of the characters are terribly interesting. It really struggles to balance the sort of um, light, lighthearted elements with the darker elements. There's tonal whiplash all over the place. Um, it's got one of the worst opening scrawls in TV history. So unnecessary. There's I mean, a scrawl? Jay, not as well. Like, yeah, there's like a little yeah. thing saying Text. like, yeah, like a little thing explaining the real life, like the real Graceland. Uh, he's so unnecessary. Nobody believes that any part of this story is true. <laughs> it's, so don't even try. And yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty people getting into scrapes like you've seen on USA before, uh, only with. Some pretensions to greater things that I don't think it does very well. Jake Harn shows up, but he doesn't get a whole lot to do, which is sad. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was what it was. And, hey, speaking of which. <laughs> well, before I just got to relate to the listeners that you uh, we were talking. You, were, you Skyped me and you're like, oh, by the way, did you uh, watch Graceland yet? And I'm like, no, I'm not watching that. I make myself watch the network pilots. I don't make myself watch the other pilots. And that's not to say that it's 
bad or that it's not, you know, the USA shows are, tend to be very satisfying. You know what you're going to get. You tune in and probably you're going to be happy. You know, it's probably going to meet your expectations and hopefully it will exceed them. Um, but I don't, you know, I did not feel compelled and I didn't have to because yeah. it's not, I'm not on a network. So it was a wonderful feeling. Uh, what I was compelled to watch, though, was the, the winner of the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll. I was surprised not a single vote for Mythbusters. What? Mythbusters. I love those wow. guys. Anyways, uh, but did, it, it was all reality and Burn Notice and Burn Notice won. There's, I feel like the people have spoken in the Make Kate Watch Stuff polls. You guys really don't care about reality. Uh, at least on mass. Or at least you can't agree which reality you care about. Um, reality series that is anyway so this was the season premiere of season seven which has, it has been announced will be the the final season it's a 13 episode season the episode is called new deal and um now bernos really did help set the brand of usa that along with with monk and and then psych really those were the tentpole shows for usa original programming and the you know, I've always enjoyed the burn notes that I've watched. I st I tuned out after it got to be too, um, I, I just, I really got tired of the, the Michael and Fiona stuff because they wouldn't just put them in a relationship already. Um, so I tuned out a while ago. I tuned back in. I did enjoy, I mean, I love this cast. They're so much fun. I mean, just come on the man, the chin, he needs to be in everything. Um, but, uh, also just sharing glass, um, and, and really everybody else. But we also have Adrian Pazdar this, this week. We have Jack Coleman, who I always enjoy. And then of course, uh, we, we also had, uh, Nick Terabe, or as we know him, Asher in this episode, which was a lot of fun. So, you know, I enjoyed this. I like this new, more serialized, you know, t approach. And especially because it's not serialized only, based on Fiona and Michael's relationship. Um, so, so yeah, I look forward to seeing, you know, what, what comes next. I had fun watching this episode. I don't know that I'm going to tune in, but I could see this being a marathon for me in the future to catch up with, with the show right before it, it ends. Did you tune in? Honestly, my experience with burn notice is I, I watched the first few, uh, let's say three seasons on DVD. And I think they're at times actually very good and suspenseful and fun and get that mix of, uh, of tension and laughs just right. I think they did that very well for a couple of seasons while introducing mild serialization. At some point for me, it went off the rails and I stopped caring. I forget exactly when that was. It was certainly before Garrett Dillahunt showed up. I heard about that and was like, what? Oh, but it's still burn notice anyway. Um, and checking, I, I made it about five minutes into this episode after the previously on. And I was, it, it, just, it just reeked of bending over backwards to keep the characters together like long after it makes any sense to do so. And it just, it, it, it had all the hallmarks of a show that's just existed too long and just, and just, you know, as outlived its natural sell by date by years. And I, I just, I, I couldn't get through very much of it at all. So I, I, I guess I shouldn't express too much of an opinion, but especially the way it just, it strains to be dark in those opening shots where you've got a bearded Michael who's in a boxing match and he's bleeding. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're still burn notice, aren't you? You're going to get all the characters back together doing antics again soon enough. Well, and I mean, I don't think it's trying to be anything other than burn notice. The episode doesn't have a particularly dark feel to it at all um so maybe that was just in those opening scenes you were getting that but throughout the rest of the episode i mean the the did you get to the voiceover 
Oh no, I didn't yeah. get that far. Yeah, as soon as you, as soon as you get to the voiceover, it's just it feels you know very very it feels very familiar, which is what they're going for and what probably most of their viewers want. And I thought it was um, I thought it was interesting and satisfying. And I did actually I got to the end of the episode, and you could see this various serial elements were going to continue, and I was fine with it. I expected to be a little annoyed by that, but if they have enough plot to warrant it, I'm totally fine with them doing a full you know 13 episode arc. To, to take it out to the end, you know, and, and it really does help that that I like Bruce Campbell as much as I do and the rest of this cast as well. And the guest cast, they do a really they do really fun casting with the, the their extended characters. So, mm-hmm. yeah, let us know what you thought. Uh, so what won what won the dramas for you this week? Uh, hmm. Hmm. I guess I'll give it to Mad Men. I didn't think it was an especially... I didn't think any of these shows were at their best, really. Um, even, uh, like the, the, even the killing slowed down a little bit compared to the opener. So, yeah, I'll give it to Mad Men, just based on the Sally stuff and the, and the Peggy stuff. I'm giving it to The Fall... You should check that right, out. Right, yes, which I'll watch yeah. at some point. Um, yeah, I was sitting here thinking, do, I'm going to decide that I don't count the Hannibal that I watched this week besides the one that aired, because otherwise that was going to get trickier between the, the end of the you know the final three episodes of Hannibal and then the final four episodes of the season of The Fall. But with that taken out of the equation, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to The Fall, and we'll talk more about that later. So what you're telling me is Hannibal gets really, really good. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I've liked all of the season of Hannibal, and they don't, and and they stick the landing. I'll just say okay. that they stick Fair the landing. Enough. A few show notes before we go into our DVD shelf with Ellen Gray of the Philadelphia Daily News. Our intro and outro music is "Sweet Petite" by the Bicycles. You can find a post up for this episode at soundonsite.org, where we would love to hear comments from you. Of course, we have an MP, MP3 unchaptered feed as well as an M4A chaptered feed up in iTunes, and we would very much appreciate any uh, iTunes ratings or reviews that you would give us. It does help other people find the show. Of course, we are also up on Facebook. You can like us there, answer the Make Kate Watch Stuff poll there, as well as suggest future. Um, shows that you would like to have in contention because honestly I'm running out of shows to put up there that I haven't already done so if you have thoughts on that let me know you can also vote at soundonsite.org slash tv if you would not like to uh, vote on the demon Facebook as I know some of you have expressed you can always email us of course theteleverse at gmail.com and we are then both on twitter I am at theteleverse you are at sucker howl and what is our question of the week sir since we were discussing USA and I guess comfort food television, which I think even USA would not object to that description at this point, because <laughs> come on, it's their brand. Um, I, I guess I'm I'm curious as to the shows that people watch that they don't watch critically at all. You know that they just you know once you're done with an episode of Hannibal and you, you need to decompress, you watch because it's pretty much always the same, and that's good for you, whether it's old or current. Cool. Yeah. So what's your comfort food television? I don't know. I will ponder that and report back next week. I don't do comfort food, but I think, (laughs) but I think other people do. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, let us know. And now we will take a break, listen to some music and a clip and come back to talk NYPD blue with Ellen Gray from the Philadelphia daily news. He shot Angie J from behind again as he was going down this from the waitress. The bartender pulled the alarm in the office and locked himself in. These guys booked. Sure Sylvia don't know? Yeah. 
No one has his name. I'll go tell her and my ex-wife see to the arrangements. Andy, you want Bobby with you or work in a case? I want him on it all the time. I'm not going anywhere, man. Them guys from a homicide in Major Case know Simone's running it. Yeah, they'll know. Okay, thanks. Yeah, all right, Andy. I need to talk to you. My concern, did I get this kid killed? Yeah. I was a big shot. Give this kid all kinds of lessons. He goes in without a gun. What kind of teaching did I give him? You taught him how to help people, Annie. He went in without a gun. He wasn't authorized to carry a gun yet. Then he should wait outside with that gutless bastard snuck out the window, dial 911 and wait. None of us would have done that. What did I do? What did I do? I don't, I don't want to have to look at these guys coming into the house. Believe me, Andy, these guys resist when we collar up, and they got a big problem. Look at these guys in court with their suits on, showing the jury their crosses. Phony bastards, they better not make one mistake. Sit there. And his mother having to sit there, knowing what they did to him. Don't do this to yourself, man. You gotta help me, Bobby. I want these guys dead. Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are getting our police procedural on, talking N- NYPD Blue with Ellen Gray, the TV critic of the Philadelphia Daily News. Uh, Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And why did you want to discuss NYPD Blue? What, what about the show makes it spring to mind for you? Well, I think part of it is that it came in on the air just before I became a TV critic. And so it was one of the first shows that I wrote about in a lot, it gave me a lot to write about in the early years on the beat. I started on the beat in '94, and it was already controversial because of the language, which was a little more than we'd heard on broadcast TV, and because of the occasional flashes of David Caruso's bottom, which really was not as impressive as we all thought it would be. <laughs> uh, but also because David Milch made himself accessible well accessible might be a too strong a term what you know the publicist would call up periodically and say do you want to talk to david about such and such an episode and i'd say sure we'd set it up for a thursday thursday would pass he'd never call friday would pass he'd never call and then on sunday afternoon at home i'd suddenly get a call from him can you talk now and i'd drop whatever i was doing with my family and run upstairs and have this really surreal conversation for maybe 45 minutes, which maybe 10 minutes would have been printable. Uh, (laughs) Can I just say before you go any further that right now, every TV blogger or critic who's listening to this is so angry at you. 
Why? Jealous. Every current one. Every every current one who who hadn't who hadn't started yet. Then. Oh, it, it got to say. Well, the the thing is now I think that's become much more the model. I mean, people like Mo Ryan have all these guys on speed dial. I talk to them maybe less than I used to. You know, it was just that this was the I think the one of those first shows where the showrunner was so important to understand. I mean, it wasn't, now we th think of these people as household names, but they weren't then. You knew who Bochco was, but Bochco wasn't really the person to talk to about NYPD Blue. Those first seven years when Milch was running the show, it was a unique thing. Every page, he used to say that every page went through his typewriter at least once. That, uh, he was also, by the end, whispering lines in actors' ears just to, before they had to deliver them, though. So <laughs> that was the downside. Well, it, it's an interesting show for, for many reasons. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting is that when I – because I always throw out to Twitter, you know, what episodes should I watch? Because usually somewhere out there amongst our awesome uh, listeners and Twitter, Twitter followers will be a couple people who really love whatever show we're about to talk about, and they'll have – these great recommendations it was crickets i found it really interesting the way that nypd blue went from being this really uh culturally very specific and hugely discussed show to i feel like it's almost sort of forgotten now in the realm of the different police procedurals and maybe that's because it was i feel like it was at a transitionary period in television if you look it starts in 93 and goes until 2005 and what we expect from a gritty cop drama has you know really changed in that time and i think nypd blue is a big part of that but i find it really interesting the way that people if you if you're having a list of best cops or, or most memorable police procedurals for a lot of tv fans now they go to the shield they go to these other shows but they don't necessarily think of nypd blue and i think that's really surprising I do too, as particularly since I, I'm assuming you both have read Alan Sepinwall's The Revolution Was Televised. It's sitting on my nightstand right now. <laughs> oh, you really have to read it. I mean, I met Alan when he first came on the beat as an intern for the Newark Star-Ledger, and he, he was sent to TCA because <laughs> the regular critic couldn't make it that year. It was kind of unusual. And he and I started talking about NYPD Blue because I'd written a lot about it, and he was running a listserv on while he was still at Penn on the show. And I think he also developed a website there. And if you look at the book, he starts talking about that first. And it's kind of how he got into the business. It's on the basis of that website was one of the reasons he was hired at the Star-Ledger as an intern. There was a lot there to write about in the early years. But yes, there, there, and as he says in the book, there's been an explosion since then of a certain kinds of shows. But those also, many of them have been cable shows. And the What's interesting to me about NYPD Blue is, and I had really not realized this this morning until this morning when I happened to look at its Wikipedia entry, longest running uh, drama on ABC, one hour drama series, still mm -hmm. twelve years. I it didn't. I think I didn't pay as much attention in the last five. After Milch, it was. I continued to watch, but it it wasn't. Didn't seem as compelling to me. I also went back the final season, the beginning of the final season, and I did interviews with everybody on the cast at the studio. They always had a closed set, so what would happen would be I was sitting outside, and they would send people out to me on their breaks, or I'd go sit, sit with them in the trailer or whatever, 
And it was fascinating. The people, even the people who hadn't want, hadn't worked with Milch wanted to talk about Milch. Mark Paul Gosler was talking about how much he wished he had worked with them, even with all the things he'd heard back and forth. Uh, he could be very difficult, but he put some amazing words in their mouths. Yeah, I think it's, you know, obviously Milt is such a, especially now with what he's able to do at HBO, most, you know, with, with Deadwood and then Jeff from Cincinnati and then Locke to, you know, to various degrees with these shows, but he does feel like such an auteur. And so to think of, of him working in the network system is, you know, really interesting to me. But then to add on top of that, that he was struggling with addiction at the time, I can't imagine what it was like on that set. But when you watch the episodes, obviously any show that has 12 seasons is going to have peaks and valleys. And even just the seven seasons with Milch, if you're, you know, seven seasons of a show is going to have peaks and valleys as well. But the episodes that, that work, the storylines, the characters, they really do come together. And I don't know, I, obviously on the television, we've sung the praises of David Milch quite frequently. We, we love a lot of his work. Um, but it was, it was really interesting to just, because, at least for me, where NYPD Blue sort of fits in the spectrum of, of poli police procedurals, of network television. I mean, it was on the air for 12 years, and I had trouble finding DVDs, and I had trouble finding people to talk about. So I feel like somehow this is an underappreciated show. Uh, Simon, what was your relationship with NYPD Blue? Did you watch it while it was on, or what was your familiarity with it? I'm sure that I saw some of it growing up. I mean, it ran until... 2005 which can we just appreciate how insane it is that it ran a that long and b that by the time it's over you're already a few seasons into the wire and the shield and some other shows that just seem of a totally different generation even though they're very clearly indebted in some ways uh, i think that's really interesting i think that's one of the big reasons that people don't think about it too much now is it started off being probably ahead of its time and by the end it, it was a little bit Maybe behind its a, time, a, a little behind its time, and all, and and also, I think it just suffers the fate of shows that go on too long, where people just, pe people just sort of take it for granted. Uh, I don't, th honestly, I don't think anything should run twelve seasons. Maybe Law and Order is accepted because it's a whole other thing, but <laughs> anything else, I, I don't, I can't think of any show that I love that I would have liked to have seen gone on that long that didn't go on that long. Uh, I, I wouldn't wish that fate on on any show, but anyway. I, I also find it interesting when we talk about Milch as auteur because I feel like even with NYPD Blue, like I, I, I don't feel like it's until Deadwood that he fully comes into his own and really defines what it is that makes his writing special. I think that his, his writing here is good and, and is distinctive and clearly is very little like other procedurals of the time, other cop shows of the time, but it's not quite – the the, the 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 special sort of beast that we got with Deadwood. Well, I think, first of all, I think a lot of the early years of NYPD Blue actually reflected what Milch was going through in his own life or had gone through. And so he used to refer to it as research, the slips, I think. <laughs> right. But he was also, and you have to remember, Bill Clark was a big part of NYPD Blue. He was also very big on research. I was trying to find this morning, I got up and I was trying to find the book that he and Bill Clark wrote, True Blue. And I know I have it in a bookshelf at home. I just can't seem to find it. As I remember this, and bear with me here, 
there was some reason that the show couldn't be, they had like a delay in production and they had an extra year to get ready for the show. And Milch spent it talking to cops. And throughout the, at least the first several seasons, they used to fly out cops from the NYPD to California every six weeks and sit around and they'd tell stories. He wanted it to be as real as possible in some ways. But it was also a show that reflected his prejudices. And he, he had said at one point that in a public forum that he had trouble writing for black actors or black characters because he wasn't black. And through a roundabout process, the late David Mills came to work for him, which launched a pretty impressive career that was cut too short a few years ago. Uh, Meredith Steam from who now went on to create Cold Case but and then writes for Homeland and is now behind The Bridge, which is coming to FX and is an extraordinarily good pilot, at least. Uh, also worked on NYPD Blue. I'm thinking Ann Biederman might have. A lot of people, you know, he was... He might have been pre- compared to Aaron Sorkin and that he liked to do all his own writing, but at the same time... and But he gave credit to other people. But I think they also did do writing. He just tended to rewrite them, and not and not credit himself, and not credit himself. Yes, I mean it was, but he, but he, a control freak, but not an egomaniac. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I guess would be the <laughs> distinction. Yes, she and Bierderman won a Emmy for outstanding individual achievement in writing for an episode of NYPD Blue, and went on to do Southland, and is and doing. Ray Donovan. Which is one of the ones we're looking forward to later this year. You should. It's really good. Oh, yes, it's, so it's later this month. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow, yeah. No, there, there are a lot of really interesting... Like, we've, we've been looking forward to The Bridge for a while at the Tullivers, and uh, Ray Donovan is another one that's certainly on, on my calendar. But let's dive into more the specifics of, of the show, because we've been going for almost uh, 15 minutes, and we haven't talked about Dennis Franz or Sipowitz, and this is such an iconic character. And in, even just aside from the characters, when I was watching this, because I don't, you know, obviously when this started, even when it when it finished, I was, you know, just starting in at university or undergrad, and uh, I was I was spending all my time watching Buffy while my PD Blue was on, so I, I don't actually remember actively watching it. I remember all the drama out in the the press about, oh no, there's we might see a butt on our television, heaven forbid. Um, but I don't remember actually watching it, so I thought it was really interesting when I was, you know, watch, catching up on some of these episodes, just how how distinctive the visual style was for this series, where I was just watching just a random clip of an episode, I was like, oh yeah, that that's NYPD Blue. Even if it was not, you know, the lead characters that we're familiar with, just the style of it is so distinctive, even just you know, through cultural osmosis, it's something that's so identifiable. What are the elements of the series that, you know, besides obviously Milch's voice, but that, that really make it stand out to you guys? Well, I, I not knowing all that much about how the series was developed or, or Milch's, you know, bits of inspiration, I have to imagine that Sipowitz and specifically the casting of Franz must have been something he insisted on because, I mean, that sort of character is pops up in every series he's done since and is instrumental in every series he's done since and is not, I mean, I, I, I have a really hard time imagining 
a network meeting where I have to convince someone that Dennis Franz is the right choice for a lead. Or, or I mean, generally he's co-lead or even a supporting character at times, but he's the only one who's there for the entire run, and he's the person that people think of when they think of NYPD Blue, I think. Well, I think that you touched on that, that he was originally a co-lead or even the supporting character, that David Caruso was supposed to be the star. And David Caruso clearly believed he was the only reason people were watching <laughs> right, the show yes. in the first season. Uh, I think one of the first columns I ever wrote was talking about how I wouldn't miss David Caruso <laughs> or his pale, bony butt. Although I will say that uh, as much as you know, Caruso does depart early, and I, I can imagine him and Milch not necessarily being a, a good fit, I will say that it's interesting to see him actually trying to act as opposed to what he does on CSI. He had, well, it shows when you put words in somebody's mouth that are better than average, that you will get something better than average. <laughs> better than, <laughs> I guess we're going to the more, yeah, better than that. He, too, had a lot of catchphrases. I think uh, he talked about reaching out a lot and are you okay with that or something like that. I, I remember it was just, I didn't really appreciate how much better somebody could have been in that role till he was no longer in it and yes i not getting along would be putting it mildly i believe milch um blames him for his heart problems <laughs> no it's not funny he really did have a very serious heart problem there. no but it's funny that he blames him and not you know other things i know i know but I think it was, I think the stress was possibly a factor mm -hmm. right, yeah. bringing it to a head. On the other hand, you could say that might have saved his life. I don't know. Uh, but it, it was a very, apparently a very uncomfortable time that everybody <laughs> remembers as being very uncomfortable. I read an interview with Bill Clark that was done maybe around 96 or 97, where he also talks about how uncomfortable he was with Caruso and how much more fun it was to work with Jimmy Smiths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that shows even when you're watching it. So, something also that I noticed is that in that first season there, um, I, I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but something that actually really bugged me was the habit of these sort of arbitrary pans that happen in virtually every shot. You know, you'll be, you'll, you'll be having a, a scene of watching a, a conversation happen between two people and you'll be focused on someone, but the camera will be sort, sort of, panning left and right to indicate realism and it's I, I found it really annoying but they thankfully ease up on that as it goes along did anyone else notice that um it's been a while since i watched but remember i was also watching homicide life on the street which had really unusual camera work for the time uh they shot it faster than almost any drama on tv and hey you know they didn't they didn't have marks and things so that was a very distinctive visual style did you ever watch any hill street blues yeah i i was recently watching actually the pilot but i've seen some of the the hill street blues um some of the greatest hits as it were mm -hmm. um, i i look forward to i keep hoping somebody's going to pick hill street blues for the dvd shelf so i have an excuse to go watch a bunch more of it because i actually do very much enjoy it but I, I i did get a strong sense of um, actually, the the biggest successor to that one for me right now is has been Southland, but I do get a sense of uh, of that from from MIPD Blue as well. I mean, they're both Bochco, right? Yes, and they were. I mean, this was the show that they thought they would be able to take the cop show to the next level. I mean, Hill Street Blues was 
is incredibly brown, groundbreaking in TV in terms of telling multiple stories in the same hour, things like that. I mean, you wouldn't believe how different it was at the time, but there were things they couldn't, simply couldn't do. They, they made up language to make it sound like people were cursing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the word dirtbag, things like that. They, were, they would say terrible things that any kindergartner could say, really. If you saw, it was just tone. And it meant a lot to Bochco, apparently, to be occasionally be able to say bullshit on television. I think they were very, there were limitations even on how much, you know, what they could say. What was interesting was that we've backed away from even some of the things they did then. It's, you know, it's, as the FCC changes hands periodically, these things wax and wane. But at the time, I thought it was more interesting that they used the N-word from time to time, that they looked at racism. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's one of the episodes that I, I watched that I particularly enjoyed. Um, I Because mean, that's something that it feels like we're in this post-racial time period now in television where we're not supposed to have any characters really discussing race until maybe they have a very special episode. But for the most part, it's it's a post-racial workplace. And, and so we, these tensions don't seem to come up on, on cop shows very frequently. And, I, you know, there's definitely it's it's great that we don't have to have characters defined by ethnicity or, or things like that. Uh, but there's also not necessarily the same kind of of realism to some of the portrayals if everybody is you know, doesn't have any sort of bias one way or the other. I think it's interesting to actually see that really explored. And one of the episodes that I particularly enjoyed for that is uh, was season six, Raging Bulls, where we finally get the the the, se- the series along at that point, struggle between Sipowitz and Fancy, really come to a head. And uh, to watch them, you know, deal, and like all the different characters in that storyline, deal with, you know, their, their particular prejudice and do they have prejudice and not even realize it and what is motivating all of this stuff it's a tricky situation that the episode is centered around with a with a uh, a cop shooting an undercover cop not neither one of them knowing the other one was a cop you know it's it's a interesting situation and, and to see the way that it explores these characters after we've really gotten to know them for you know six seasons at this point i i really appreciate it well, and I, I also in a I, there was a previous episode that I watched. I can't remember the name right now. Where uh, Sipowitz gets into a uh, into a situation involving a black community leader, Quasi, Quasi, yes, uh, uh, Father Quasi, Brother Quasi, sorry. And uh, that one is I, I really that was actually one of my favorites. I, I like the way that they didn't they don't even remotely try to soften up sipowitz sipowitz's character at all like yes he's a good cop yes in some respects he's a good person on the other hand he is very clearly racist and they didn't gloss they did the opposite of gloss that over and the the last scene of the episode where his uh you know where his wife i don't i forget whether they're married yet at the time i think they are uh basically says to him in the future this is not like you're not going to pass this on to our kid that's it and it was that you know it doesn't fix Sipowitz as a character, but it does it it finds a way forward that doesn't let anyone off the hook, I guess. Well, and it continues to be an evolving element to his personality that it, it, there isn't like a, oh I've learned my lesson I shouldn't be racist yay <laughs> there's no it, it wasn't a very special episode where everything got solved 
Exactly. It, you, it was a moment in time, and it did. He did change over time, as Milch was doing. I mean, a lot of this was coming out of how he was handling criticism about the way the show was handling race. And there was criticism, too, of how they were handling women. I have never thought it, it wrote particularly well for women, and I wrote that at the time. Uh, I think Kim Delaney spent most of the time on that show crying. Yeah, that sounds about right. Very defined by her, the men in her life. Exactly. And, the, and most of them were like that. Mm-hmm. So he had a, he, he had blind spots. I mean, that was maybe the, what made it interesting. It wasn't a perfect show by any means. It gave you a lot of ways in, but but also remember, you'll talk about. I mean, I loved Buffy. I watched every episode, and it made me the coolest mom in the carpool because I watched Buffy. <laughs> but in my regular life outside of here, there were many, many more people watching NYPD Blue than any of the shows we've discussed. It was a mainstream network show, and that. You know, that means that you have an opportunity to talk about it to people who've actually seen it, especially if you're writing for a newspaper. And I think this was this is a big ABC market. So a lot of people saw it. And it gave me opportunities to talk about how women are handled on TV, how race is handled on TV. Yeah. And I think that when people talk about auteurism on TV, I think that's one of the pitfalls. You know, people think of, you know, big writers rooms and, you know, a, a wide variety of contributors as being a challenge. Uh, but that's clearly one of the one of the blessings of the medium that you can get, a, hopefully, a variety of voices and a variety of inputs. And I do think that Milch got a lot better with dealing with female characters in his other series, especially on Deadwood. Um, maybe luck, not quite as much. But, uh, you know, you can say that's dependent on the milieu. But anyway, but I think that, you know, people... People take as, as as a problem what what actually I think in most cases it ends up being a blessing, uh, even though although of course at the time I'm assuming there was uh, probably a pretty significant shortage of female writers contributing to most series, which was probably just exacerbated here when you've got Milch again rewriting just about everything. Well, I also think there was a shortage of women working as working detectives in NYPD in in, in the NYPD, and that was the thing. He did care deeply about the reality of it. I mean, it's true that some of the characters started to sound more like him than like real cops. But in a lot of them sounded I met Bill Clark on several occasions and a lot of the characters sounded like Bill. He he really did care about the reality and the reality was there was a lot of racism, there was a lot of sexism. In eighteen seventies in Deadwood, there were other factors but there were obviously going to be some strong women. The weak women don't survive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that weak nothing survives. I think that he may, you know, like anybody else, I think he evolved. Well, and, you know, the fact that he was examining the criticism lobbied at him and, and, and really exploring this part maybe of his own writing and, and willing to look into that and hear this criticism. I don't know how well he responded to it necessarily, but but you can see an evolution in his writing over the course of the series. That's Milch, and then obviously the characters continue to go after Milch left, as opposed to, I don't know, maybe the types of response that uh, we've heard from certain uh, 
more auteuristic uh, showrunners recently about when when people don't like their portrayals of women or their uh, branching yes. things out. You know, the fact that somebody so you're thinking the ex- promo in the desert might not be maybe a- maybe that <laughs> one. <laughs> maybe maybe Mitchell thinking people just don't get him and not that we don't think Arrested Development is as funny this season. Just things like that. I I, I think it's really interesting to see uh, to to see that. It, at least it feels like Milch was, to some extent, actually listening to what people said, and then ex- you know, then you know, t- internalizing that to some extent, and exploring it within himself, and seeing you know how he felt about that, and shifting some things, and keeping other things the same. I don't know. I think I, I appreciate that in 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 a showrunner or in a writer, or in really any kind of creative person. Before we run out of time, I do want to mention because we we kind of glossed over it. We've talked very very briefly about some of the different actors i gotta give so much props to jimmy smith's because i've seen him in various other things and i always enjoy his performance performances but i feel like finally having caught up with bobby simone as a character i get jimmy the jimmy smith's love in a way that i haven't (laughs) before you know like i get why people are like oh yes he's being cast in this as opposed to just because he's always good you know I, i i i can see how a generation of TV viewers really fell in love with his performing on this show. And uh, by the time you get to hearts and souls, just, it was an astonishing performance, I think. And I, I, I had to make sure we didn't get out of the DVD shelf without me praising Jimmy Smith. And I, I feel bad for the, you know, the actors who had to try to follow such a beloved character. I think Rick Schroeder and Mark Paul Gossler did their best with what they were given, but I really feel like the show is Sipowitz and then it's Simone. Well, it's interesting because particularly uh, Schroeder got more in the beginning than Smiths did. They were in such a hurry to replace Caruso that they, they, I think they'll admit now, and I think they have admitted that the, there was a sketchiness to the Bobby Simone character going in. They sort of learned on the job. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't have a fully realized character to start with. And he made something out of it anyway. It's a remarkable performance. It also, the character became truly frightening at times. I remember doing a bad boyfriend column about, I mean, he was not quite the knight in shining armor that he seemed at first. It was a more complicated character than I think people remember sometimes. And what I I will say this about Rick Schroeder, that I thought he he rose to a challenge and that was a show that helped him move on in some ways as an adult actor, but they did a better job writing him mm-hmm. than they initially did for Smith's. And which is why I think, yes, you can't say enough good things about him. I, I wanted to specifically mention, uh, Kate, you brought up hearts and souls. And personally, I was just a big mess at the end of that episode. Um, I, I, I can't account for anyone else, but man, I mean, you know, de- deathbed episodes t- tend to get to me in general, even on uh, even on way lesser shows. But I think having not been in that situation, I, I can't really account for realism, I suppose, but it feels very real. And that's all down to this the specificity of his performance from his uh, from his body movement or lack thereof to the uh, to the tremulous nature of his voice and even stuff that really shouldn't work like the extended hallucinations or 
whatever you want to call it at the end of the episode that on paper I would have read that and said this is this is too much the dead baby etc uh, yeah that too um yeah like all like all the monologuing etc cetera, etc cetera, it it probably felt quite rich on the page but it actually uh, it worked on me in a very significant way actually watching it and I think that's down to him I had one of the most remarkable interviews with him after about the time that was happening he had never really wanted to be he was one of the people who didn't really want to talk very much if you were like i remember being on location and he wasn't the he, he doesn't like to step out of character to talk to reporters while he was doing that and i kind of understood so i never really thought of him as being particularly friendly and then i they had offered him to me as he was leaving the show and i said sure and then on the day he called i was out on the office out of the office on assignment i didn't get message till later he had tried to call several times he finally took the initiative to call somebody and get my home number and he called me that home at night and we talked for quite a while and i just thought what he really he had left a message at one point saying he really liked the thing on my answering machine where i said i return all readers phone calls <laughs> but he was just such a mensch about it but i think my, i just looked this up and my lead on this is jimmy smith is glad to finally be out of that hospital bed mm-hmm. he was he spent at least three weeks 13 to 15 hour days in different increments of time spent lying on his back <laughs> well it was you know i when i was talking with simon about this earlier it, it's such you know amazing performance to me because you know, i have obviously i it's 12 seasons i wasn't gonna watch every episode but i was so sort of jumping around to different episodes and so to go from one of the, some of the season three episodes to and and uh, some of the season five episodes, then to this one, he goes from being just such a a strong because he's he's a big guy, he's huge shoulders. Yeah. To go from such a strong and commanding presence to just the beginning, straight into heart and soul, without seeing the decline, he just it's feels like a completely different person. And just the specificity of his physical performance for me in that episode is amazing because I'm used to people who are having deathbed type episodes on various medical shows or police procedurals like this one, they have a very different physicality from this. It always feels like they, they're weak because they don't have the strength to lift their arms or anything like this. Whereas he felt very rigid. He felt like he was trapped. You got such a strong sense of his fragility and his frailty, but also that he was still really trying to fight. He was really trying to, to live, but he gets that across with just like a shaking of a hand or just like these slight movements. Cause obviously the character can't really move, but to, to get, to be able to make that come across is, is such a remarkable thing. Well, he said that Milch and Boschko had been talking about the fact that over the hiatus, they were feeling this tremendous loss because he was leaving the show. And that's where the idea came from to have him a medical plot line rather than just shoot him, which I think he was expecting. Mm-hmm. But he said he looked really looked forward to the dream sequences because he could get out of bed. <laughs> I mean, a lot of this is he's playing somebody with labored breathing for hours and hours. I imagine after a while, your breathing does seem pretty labored. Yeah. Well, before we, I mean, we've already gone long. Do we have any other episodes or performances that we specifically want to discuss? 
we we somehow managed to not even discuss the uh, the Andy Jr. Oh, God. so much. Uh, but yeah, that that whole two parter uh, is really really hard to watch, and I think Franz does a fantastic. I think anything to do with Sipowitz and his sobriety, I think, is at least to me was always compelling, and uh, it's one of those things that you rarely see done with any level of of grace. And I think um, I think they handled all that stuff really well. Again, you can probably chalk that up to Milch. I got to work early and was watching it before I was supposed to start uh, teaching, and I was, so I was just sitting at this, you know, desk table thing, and I was just a mess. <laughs> and, and it was the first episode I watched this morning, and so I, it's not like I had had some, you know, I was really in the in with the characters or in the NYPD Blue mindset, but just those first that opening s- sequence, you know, they, they're going into the hospital, and I mean, obviously, I knew what was coming because I had read a plot synopsis of just like the idea of what happens in all these different episodes and uh and just the it just so quickly puts you immediately into uh to, to Sipwitz's experience and the performance from Franz is is fantastic I mean and you have this somewhat over-the-top orchestration right in those episodes and yet it still didn't take me out of it I, it's it's amazing it was it was a mess <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting that a show that's been off the air a fair long amount of time can still do that to you. Mm-hmm. And as you say, one that people don't talk about anymore. I think part of it is that I don't, you know, I don't know why it's not streaming on Netflix, but it doesn't seem to be. I think if they put it up, people would come. I think maybe part of it is because it, it used to be on reruns, you know, the way that Law and Order was. It, it, Law and Order is less frequently constantly on the air as it was say about five years ago and and i feel like maybe before law and order was constantly on the air uh, in reruns maybe nypd blue was it does feel you know more of its time with because it has mm-hmm. such a distinctive visual style so maybe that's why sh- it's networks like tnt and usa are choosing other pr- procedurals to constantly rerun like right now they're doing a lot of bones and castle and like more comedic Right, and, as opposed to dramatic. So maybe that's why. Well, I think it's also serialized a bit more than. Mm-hmm. I mean, Law and Order was designed for syndication. It was never meant to be shown as an hour. Dick Wolf had this idea that you could do a half an hour at a time. Law, the law part, the order part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because his having not seen large chunks of episodes at a time just kind of. D- dipping in here and there for various episodes, I was surprised how quickly I caught up on you know what had gone on in the interim mm-hmm. between the characters because they did. I mean, you do have a sense that these actors know who these people are. Um, so, do you have any other uh, you know episodes or characters or that you would want to well, mention, Ellen? I I think that actually the secondary characters were sometimes fabulous. Um, Metavoy, who was. The time seemed unique. <laughs> uh, Ab- Donna Abandando. Am I oh. pronoun- I'm probably not even pronouncing that correctly. I, I mean, it, it, she didn't really... Char- her character didn't exist anywhere else. And yet, she's like everybody I've ever met in an office at times. Well, and that's one of the things we enjoy on the Televerse is about the the good wife is where you know, in these some of these different episodes you learn something you didn't know about a quirk of the the you know the legal system and you're like oh okay that's fun and they exploit that for an episode and it's really interesting i didn't know that they were 
not cops who worked in precincts like that. And so I thought that was just, you know, you don't see that in other police procedurals. And I'm assuming because, you know, it's Milton Bochco that that is a real thing. So I thought, you know, exactly. That's a very different and unique kind of character to have in a role in a in a station house. Right. In a way to bring in a woman where it didn't seem unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Because they yeah. really are the last thing I want to mention doesn't exactly have to do with NYPD Blue. I'm just blown away that Milch and Clark made another series with Ray Winstone and it didn't get optioned. Oh, my God. And yeah. I'm like, what? Reading through that cast is just it, it made me sad because the premise and the creative team and the cast are so amazing. Well, they also yeah. did Brooklyn South. Mm-hmm. Or, or actually, I guess did was Milch. Clark was on Brooklyn South. Was Milch? I guess Milch I think Milch was as well, but, but probably not as the main force. I'd, I'd have to. I can't remember. It's, it's been so long. Uh, but yeah, a lot of things don't get made. It's or don't make it. I guess my final thought will be: it was fun, kind of diving into this world, and there is so much more of it that you know, that I didn't get a chance to catch up with that. I think this will be one that I, you know, if they do ever start replaying it, it would be one that I would enjoy being able to kind of dip back into and get, uh, you know, have a little fun with, with these, these characters because they are so distinctive and so, so interesting. And uh, when, <laughs> when the show is going to do its drama, it's so good at it. <laughs> so, so yeah, thank you very much, Ellen, for, for picking NYPD Blue. It's, it was a, It was a bit of a blind spot for me, so it's good to fill it in. Well, thank you for taking the time for it. Absolutely. Well, where can our listeners uh, find your find your writing online? Uh, phillydailynews.com. Uh, my blog is ellengray.tv. Cool. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. All right. Thank you. 